The Word of God that forms the basis of our mission is actually our epistle lesson. I have selected uh, a number of verses, specifically uh, verses 21 to 26, to focus our attention. A righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so that so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Father in heaven, again, uh, open our eyes to see the privilege that we have today to gather together as your family around your word, where your spirit makes a promise to come to us, to teach us. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds to understand the wonderful gift that you have given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, I kind of have a record around this place of coming up with opening illustrations that you guys don't know about. So before I put it up there, we're still going to do it. I just want to know, before I do, how many of you... Remember the movie, Catch Me If You Can. That's enough of you, okay. All right, Catch Me If You Can. It was a Steven Spielberg movie put out over 20 years ago, believe it or not. Now, in this this particular movie, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays a guy by the name of Frank Abagnale, who likes to impersonate people. The show opens up after he gets through some of his childhood issues where he impersonates a Pan Am pilot and learns how to mess with their checking system that he can cash and make a lot of money. Then he became a medical doctor. And after falling in love with Brenda, uh, the uh, hospital worker, next thing you know, he wants to be an attorney. And he says he's an attorney. And after that, a Lutheran. Watch it. It's cool. So here we have at the point of the the movie where he's now engaged to Brenda uh, to get married. Um, It's almost like the story is becoming so real to him that he can't see anything else until his engagement party. That's when the FBI agent, played by Tom Hanks, finally seems to get him under his control. And as he's waiting, of course, for the inevitable reveal by the FBI, he pulls Brenda to the side and quickly wants to be the one to share the news with her. And he tells her, I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school. I'm not a Harvard graduate or a Lutheran. 
Now imagine how Brenda must have felt yeah, all of a sudden. What are you saying? And, and she kind of stumbles. Frank, Frank, you're not a Lutheran? First of all, I think it's great just because Lutheran got in there. But second of all, in the movie, it's apparent that for Brenda, and if you watch it, more than likely her family, that Frank being a Lutheran was the most important part of his identity. What does it mean to be a Lutheran? Or, as we observe Reformation, what is Reformation Day all about? Is it mainly a celebration of historical events? Maybe even a a cultural heritage that the Reformers had, not only on the church itself, but uh, society as well? Or is there more than just that? Now, to try to unpack this, I want to do something that you probably would say, well, that doesn't sound very Lutheran, or probably better, pre-Lutheran, as far as Luther was concerned. And that was this. Martin Luther, Lutheran had been taught that righteous works are necessary for salvation. He had been taught that God will only love you if you keep all of his commandments. And so he tried hard to meet God's demands, primarily because he feared eternal damnation. You're either right with God or you're wrong with God. I don't want to be wrong with God. I want to be right. And so he struggled very, very hard to meet these demands. Now, the whole idea of God's judgment, hell, and damnation, this wasn't made up during medieval times. In fact, fact, it's very much a, a, a doctrine taught very, very clearly in Scripture. And we even confess it in the Apostles' Creed, which we did just a couple of minutes ago. But for Martin Luther, the more he tried, the more... He found himself despaired. He read the demands of the law with his eyes on himself and not on Christ. He looked not only at his outward righteousness, but he was a man that also looked into his heart. He was plagued. The the outward things to do, those were easy, but it's the stuff I thought about. He would leave a confessional after hearing his, the words of forgiveness, and then he would see somebody in the monastery that he didn't like. He had ill feelings, and he, he'd turn around and go back into the confessional. Why? He didn't want to die without being forgiven for that sin. He thought that somehow or another, if he timed it just right, he would be forgiven and then die right on the spot. And that would be his way of finding comfort and peace, of knowing for sure that he was in the right place when it came to God. He actually hated the idea of the righteousness of God whenever it was written in the New Testament because it meant to him that the righteousness of God are demands 
that God put on him. He had to produce righteousness. He had to do things according to God in such a way that God would be pleased with him. But the more he tried, the more he realized his failure. He felt like a convicted criminal in court without a defense lawyer. There was nobody in his mind that was going to come to his defense. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but this wasn't just Martin Luther. Most of the people in Germany at that time had bought into the same idea. In fact, in Wittenberg, where he taught, the people were getting excited about an opportunity that was going to happen on November 1st, 1517, All Saints Day. That's why we call uh, October 31st Halloween. All Hallowed's Eve. It was the day of preparation for All Saints Day. All Saints Day to uh, the Lutheran Christians was like Christmas Eve to the American culture. It was more important <laughs> than the actual uh, the celebration itself. But this is a celebration that people got geared up for. Citizens of Wittenberg had been told, and Luther was all aware of it, that on November 1st, the castle church would be opened up and people had the opportunity to catch a glimpse of Duke Frederick's collection of relics. He had over 1,700 of them. People lined up. People paid for the opportunity to see these things. Why? Because they were taught that a proper uh, veneration or, or worship, if you will, of these relics could earn you up to two million years off time in purgatory. I could only imagine if I would have been there, I probably would have made a couple of laps thinking I could get up to four million, you know. But the idea is there. If I see it, if I see it enough, I earn enough good works to pay for time off in purgatory. Now imagine, two million years, you would think, well, that should cover it. But that wasn't enough. There needed to be more. Also at Luther's day, they were, they were selling what were called indulgences. You could pay for the forgiveness of sins, time off in purgatory, whether you wanted to pay for it yourself, although that would be pretty selfish, don't you think? You really should help grandma get out of there first, don't you think? And you were compelled out of your love for a parent, a child. I'll buy this for them to save them the suffering that they await if they don't live a life that is really pleasing to God, that is righteous in the sights of God. That was November 1st, 1517. That's when the doors would be open. It was the day before, October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther approached the same chapel church, went to the same door that would be open the next day to see these relics, and on that door, he nailed what we know to be as his 95 theses. 
He wanted a discussion to take place. What was being taught at that time was not what God's Word taught. So understand that behind the, the, the whole celebration of Reformation was what was going on at the time. The time of promoting this idea that somehow or another you could do something, you could buy something that would make you right with God. And that's what Luther was protesting. Romans 2, 1, Paul begins the thought process by saying, therefore, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on somebody else. For whether you point, for whatever you point, you judge the other. You are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment actually do the same things. When it comes to righteous works, the case I can make as a sinner is hopeless. I mean, I can compile it. I can put it in, you know, uh, a wonderful document, color coat the pages and so you can easily find my good works, you know, so you don't have to look for them. I can do all that, but at the end of the book, I'm still lost. I'm still not right. No matter how hard I try, I cannot be the righteous one that God demands. Sometimes I think we kind of play that game. You know, that we try to convince ourselves that the person we are is righteous, or at least righteous enough. We assume that if we take God's rules and our faith seriously, which I would think you are, surely you guys are going to pass the mustard for God. Albeit... Sometimes you have to bring other people into the conversation. You know, the ones that aren't here today, the ones that don't go to church, those heathen that populate our cities here and there and everywhere. Surely I'm better than they are at least. If anyone's going to hell, it's those guys. But I'm trying. Don't you see? I'm even still listening. Pastor doesn't have to raise his voice. I'm tracking the sermon here. Shouldn't I get some kind of credit for that? I mean, sometimes it's actually kind of hard, but not today. I'm following along. Sometimes we're kind of like Frank. We put on an outfit, an outside covering. We don this air of outward righteousness. Believing more and more, that's what we are. I gave an offering I came to church. I have served in the past. I might even be serving now. Um, Surely this adds up for something in God's eyes, you would think. Something must be right. Or sometimes we just use the old trick of human nature. If we can't measure up, change the measurement. I know he says perfect, but he really means try to be perfect. I know he says be holy, but I'm trying my best. I mean it. I'm really trying. Don't you see? That's got to amount for something. Isn't it the intent? Isn't it the idea? Isn't it my desire to be good? It's not that I actually have to be good, but I'm trying to be good. Sometimes we assume 
that the commands of God are really suggestions. And you know, suggestions can be bent. Just like other things in our life. We want to lose weight so we count calories, and yet there are certain times he says, I'll skip those calories there. I don't have to actually write those down. How about traffic laws? I know it says 45, but they don't pick up until you're going six miles over. <laughs> Not really the law, it's just kind of an idea. Go around that speed, you know? It's not against the law to go 46 and a 45. I don't know if any of you gotten picked up for that, but it is still against the law. But we cut ourselves slack. We see somebody else shooting by us and cutting people off and going, Whoa, you, honk, honk, don't drive like that. And it's our turn to be late for a meeting, or we think what we have to do is so important, and we're cutting through traffic, they're honking at us, well, you don't understand, i got to be here on time. Everybody does it. The fact that I do it only shows that it's not that bad, because everybody does it. Now we follow the world outright adapting God's rules to a contemporary lifestyle instead of the other way around. We have a hard time speaking about God's righteousness when we talk about other people who have made decisions or have thought processes, and they're sincere, they mean it. Doesn't Christian love allow for this behavior? After all, God hates the sin, not the sinner. And little by little, we find ourselves being molded. Setting things up where we're, we're actually justifying our behavior. Well, that all goes well until the prosecutor shows up. And we are confronted with the reality that none of those things merit an excuse when it comes to the righteousness of God. You have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you, for whatever point you judge other, you are condemning yourself because you, you do the same things. God's word shuts every mouth. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does that mean you? Yeah. Does that mean me? Yeah. And the weird thing is, I'm preaching the sermon. Some of you could say, who do you think you are? You're just as bad as I am. And I would say you're absolutely right. And in my mind, I'm worse. I think I should know better. I think I should have arrived at some point, after all, I've been doing this for a while, where I kind of get over certain sins. I overcome those things. And I have righteousness in those areas of my life. But I don't. None of us do. 
I mean, think about a, a, a convicted murderer who's up there pleading for himself and the judge says, that's it, I've heard enough. You cannot justify by your childhood or, or extenuating circumstances why you ended up alive and they ended up dead. I'm not hearing any more of it. You have been convicted. You are guilty and you will pay the price. For righteous acts, you need a righteous person. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement is one of those fun uh, religious terms. It actually means at one meant, which means that Christ Jesus was a sacrifice that made us at one with God. The division between the Father and his creation has been bridged because Jesus paid the price for that bridge. He actually became that bridge in our behalf. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, today. So that, so as to be just, at the same time, the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus What that means is that Christ alone, true God, and yet also true man, was the only one capable of fulfilling the law perfectly. And he did it for us. He has shown that God is just. Christ did. He didn't look the other way when it came to sin. He didn't minimize sins. He didn't say, oh, close enough, I'll count that. You passed the grade. No, he held us fully responsible for our sin. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, after living the perfect life, after spending time teaching disciples and people about who he was and what he had come to accomplish, there he was on the cross, the sinless Son of God. And yet coming out of his mouth, some of the most powerful words of Good Friday Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hath you forsaken me? I mean, it blows your mind when you understand that God is a trinity, three persons in one, not three gods, one. That here's the second person of the trinity appealing to the Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's one of the cool things we'll get to think about when we get to heaven. But while on earth, we learn that at that time, Jesus was no longer the sinless one. Jesus was covered with our sin. All of it. In fact, not just your sin, but the sins of all people of all ages of all time. He died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. The punishment that our sins deserve was carried by Jesus when he died. And that punishment is best heard in those words because the curse of sin is separation from the Father. You know, you think about hell sometimes, you think about burning lakes of fire, you think about weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what's really going to be bad about hell? God's not going to be there. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown in a fiery furnace that was so hot, it killed the people that threw them in there. 
And yet, were they burned up? (laughs) Nothing on their clothes was even singed. Because who was in there with them? But God himself. When God is with you, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Whatever fiery furnace you have, because God is there with you. On the cross, the Father abandoned the Son so that the Son could pay the total debt for our sins, for the things that we can't do, but that what He does for us. That's perfect love. He upholds the law by fulfilling the law. It's because of Christ's work that the church and if I may be so bold to say it this way, the Lutheran Church, the Reformation Church, this is where we rise or fall. He did this to demonstrate his judgment at the present time. So as to be just by punishing Jesus for our sins, at the same time the one who justifies those who have faith in him. This is the action of God on our part. This is what he does. In the church alone, God is found as the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Cyprian, which was an early church father, um, said these words, outside the church there is no salvation. Now, sometimes we, we, we get beat up over that. Who do you guys think you are saying that there's no salvation outside the church? Can you tell me where else the gospel of Christ is preached? It's not on television. Rarely see it in written word. But when the church gathers together, what do we gather around? We gather around the gospel. That is that Christ saves. There's no other salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Where this is preached, the sinner repents of his sins and is reminded yet again of the salvation that comes to him through the work of Christ. We see that in our baptisms. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. After we confess our sins, we remind people about the grace of the Father who has the authority to give to me the real-time forgiving action of your sins. He doesn't really need me, but he wants me there or any other pastor, so that you can't excuse yourself from hearing those words of grace. Wow, he kind of said that. It's true. And you know what? You see it in the sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. Given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul concludes, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. When the spiritual reality of your life catches us under God's judgment, the bluff of our claim for personal righteousness is called. And yet, we're saved not because of what we do, but what Christ has done for us. In faith, is not the ability to do everything right. I'm not very good at my faith because I drove 46 in a 45. We're saved because Jesus even forgave that sin. 
something that I doubt any of you even consider as a sin. But it is. It's the breaking of the law. And God demands perfection. That's what tore Luther apart. He couldn't do it. But through his study of the word, there it was. We maintain that a man is justified, made right in the eyes of God, made righteous in the eyes of God by faith, apart from observing the law. That's what Jesus did for us. So when you die and you get up to heaven, you're not going to be asked this question. Are you a Lutheran? You don't get into heaven because you're a Lutheran. Huh. What Lutherans believe, teach, and confess historically, that's what gets you into heaven. That we are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God. It's not by works. The Lutheran church, therefore, you're going to hear, hopefully, the full weight of the law. To be confronted with your sins. To get away from this justifying things that we like to do with our life. And at the same time, you're going to hear an even greater weight of the gospel that transcends, that overcomes the implications of a law because the gospel tells us what Jesus has done, is doing, and will continue to do. That's the mark of the teaching and practice of the Lutheran church. And on a day where we remember Reformation, we want to remember it not just as if it's a a historical event only, a cultural sort of thing. It's a day that by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit raised up men and women to refocus our thoughts on the true faith in God, faith that believes in the work of Christ, without which no one becomes righteous. And yet those of us who are unrighteous become righteous in the eyes of God because of our Savior Jesus Christ and His work for us. In His name we pray. Amen.